What's up, y'all? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's been been a week. Yeah, it's been a week. We only had one last week. It's uh, it's okay. You know, like I said in the beginning, ambitious to have guests. Also ambitious to do, <laughs> to do twice a week. I, uh, I will definitely not. Uh, some weeks I'll be super motivated. I think I'll have time this week. It's a release week, but I'm pretty far ahead. I finally feel a little bit better. I'm 98.5%. I still got a weird cough. If one more motherfucker tells me I have coronavirus, they're going to get punched in the throat. <laughs> it is possible that I just have a lingering cough. Okay, so just please stop saying that. Mm. Um, yeah, so you know what? I'll tell you what, man. Um, this one, I consider myself a very funny guy. Some of this will be funny. Uh, this one... I haven't told it to too many people. A couple people know of this, but this is like one that, uh, goddamn Facebook memories, you know, like, um, they come up and they get, they pop up sometimes and it's wild. I, I, you know, for all the negative, negative things that I think of Facebook and social media in general, and there's obviously positive things, always good and bad with everything. Um, this is one thing that really like some days can really make me feel weird, uh, and get me thinking about stuff and, and for good or for bad indifferent. Um, I'm, I'm constantly trying to assess things that have happened in the past and to not repeat them. And I really try my best not to do that. Um, this one, I'm going to promise, uh, I can't promise that I'm going to get through it as good as I think I can, but this one is one that, um, that means a lot to me. And it really, uh, I think, has a good message about, um, you know, how people always say they're busy, they're busy, and they don't have enough time to um, answer a phone call or get back to someone on a text. And, and, and again, I'm not sitting here saying I've never ignored a phone call. I'm not sitting here saying I let it go to voicemail or I see a text come in and, and I don't get back to that person right away. Um, it's a little different for this scenario because of the person I'm going to speak about, but um but I'm guilty of that shit, man. I'm guilty. I try not to do it. You know, I try to always think of this situation um, and kind of kind of let that guide me. But um, like I've said from the beginning, man, I'm not. You know, I'm very weary of people that always have the right answer, the white knights of the world. I, I, I can't get behind that shit. I, I don't believe you. Um, everybody is fucked up. Everybody's made uh, bad choices, things they wish they could change. Um, I think assessing those things and moving forward is the only way that, that you can become the person that you're supposed to be or just become a better person, man. Um, so yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll jump right into it, man. So I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Maine, Smithfield, you know, I think population has gone down since I've left. Uh, no one moves there. Central Maine, Smithfield, uh, you know, it's sandwiched between Oakland and Norwalk. Um, you know, 900 plus people, um, you know, dirt driveway, you know, there was no, like I said, no neighborhood, no neighbors, you know, the next neighbor was a half mile down the road, a mile down the road. And then the next neighbor from there was a mile down the road. You know, it was just a very uh, secluded place. Um, but that, you know, so I, like I always said, like I had a lot of time, just me and my sister had a lot of time, you know, I was very sheltered, not, you know, my mom did a great job, you know, like she would bring us to New Jersey, December, February, April. I got to see things outside of Maine you know, be around different types of people. Um, you know, she, she, she raised us, my grandfather and her especially raised us to treat everybody with respect. I mean, I never, 
I never uh, was in an environment where I heard any racism. I never was in an environment where anything was ever discussed like that. And, and I completely credit my mother um, and my grandfather for kind of going out of their way to um, explain the right way to treat people, which is you just judge people on the content of their character, you know, and that's that's just it, you know, I mean, and needless to say, where I grew up, you know, there was uh, not many black, I don't think there was any black people. Um, and where I think I went to high school, I think there might have been one black kid uh, in our entire entire school my senior year who had moved there from, I think, somewhere in New York City. Um, so there was obviously a lot of people there that were not used to seeing black people. And there was obviously a lot of racism, too, which which is shitty. You know, it's a shitty thing. I think everybody can agree on that. Um, so the first time, you know, I really was around a lot of black people was at Husson, my first year at, uh, at Husson playing football. Um, you know, it's just, you know, and probably for them, probably the first time being around a lot of backwoods white people, <laughs> you know, like, um, so it was just, it was just really, it was funny. And I remember, um, the first day we were there, we had, uh, you went down and you introduced yourself and where you were from and what position you played and whatever, if you said something funny, that was, that was that. But I remember, um, you know, people would come down. I knew who some of these people were. A lot of these guys were big-time players in Maine, and it was the first year Hudson was doing football. So I knew probably like half of the people in the room. And then, um, you know, some kids would go down and, and uh, say their school. And <clears throat> so the biggest guy there, easily the biggest guy there, was Lou. And he, uh, you know, six foot three, probably 330 pounds. Just I've never seen someone's back as large as <laughs> – it's like, like you could literally eat dinner. Not that you'd want to do that shit, but you could literally eat dinner on his on his back. I mean, he was just a huge human being. Um, he was from uh, where was he from? Uh, not New Haven. Yeah, New Haven, Connecticut. New Haven. I was gonna say Hartford. New Haven, Connecticut. I don't know how I could forget that. Um, had a really rough upbringing. Um, when I met him, he already had diabetes. He had had diabetes since he was a lot younger. Um, you know, he was raised by uh, you know his mother, um, who you know just. I think she did the best she could, but was involved with a lot of drugs and his brothers and sisters, you know, they just did the best they could. You know, he came from a rough area and he got out because of football. You know, he was a big recruit, ended up going to um, Bridgeton Academy in Bridgeton, Maine, which anybody who's listening knows that a lot of people fly under the radar at prep schools. You know, like Victor Cruz spent a year at Bridgeton Academy in, in, in Maine and then went on to be one of the best receivers in the NFL, you know, I think from like the end of the 2000s through mid 2000s for the Giants. Um, you go there, you play, keep your nose down, get your grades up, go to a, go to a bigger school. So that was his plan. Um, I think when he was there, um, he ended up having a, a child uh, with a woman and kind of take some time off. And so by the time he came to Huston as a freshman, he was 21 going on 22. I was 18. Um, he, you know, his daughter, I think might've been a year or two old at that point. Um, and he was kind of coming back to playing football, obviously at a lower level, not a big Division One school, but was way ahead of us as far as maturity, talent, and size. <laughs> so he stood out. So he goes down the front, <clears throat> and he says, I'm Lou Avent from New Haven, Connecticut, uh, kicker. <laughs> and everybody popped. You know, like the entire – because like everybody in the room was like waiting to hear him say something, to hear like what he had to say because he was just obviously the biggest person in the room. He said he was a kicker, which obviously he was not. He was a left tackle, <laughs> but but it's it's just it's just funny. Um, that's my first memory of him, and then it was just so funny because, like, I never thought I never pictured being friends with 
someone as big as him. And also I had never been friends with, uh, you know, close friends with a black person before. Like I, I, um, they just weren't around where I grew up, you know? And it was just like, it was just a whole different way of viewing the world. You know, like you, if, I'm sure if it was, um, a Japanese person or an Indian person, like, I, I feel like it would be the same thing, you know, like he was blown away. Like when I described my way of living <laughs> and I was blown away when he described some of the stuff he went through and like, he just poked his head in my dorm room one night and was like, Hey, you want to get a game of Madden? <laughs> and like we just became buds, man. Like we were inseparable. Like it was me, uh, you know, this, this little or white guy from Maine. And then, and then Lou, this bigger black guy from Connecticut. And we were just like, yeah, we were inseparable, you know, like, um, through college, you know, he, he would come home with me to Smithfield, which was hilarious because he'd always say, this is a perfect place. He's like, I can't believe that people live out here. He's like, you could dump a body out here. <laughs> <laughs> that shit still cracks me up mm. man my grandparents loved him i used to bring him to a camp in the summer um my grandfather would would tease him all the time because he was so big one time he like almost broke the dock like this brand new hammond lumber dock at my grandparents camp so my grandfather would always um ask him when he was gonna give him some money for fixing the dock and he always thought he was serious and um my mom loved him you know like we had him in for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, because he wasn't going home, you know, like he was in Maine now, and he was going to try to make a life here after college and during college and raise his daughter. Um, he wasn't going home. So, you know, he became, you know, part of my family. Um, and it was, it was, it was great, man. We did everything together, man. Like I was away for a year in Albany, year and a half, came back, picked right up where we left off, you know, and, um, it was just fun, man. We learned a lot about life from each other, you know, like he learned about where I was from and, um, you know, <laughs> there's so, so many stories I could tell about Big Lou. Um, he, he, he didn't take great care of himself. Um, I remember the first time I ever saw him drink, he drank, I think a half gallon of raspberry flavored vodka. Like it was water. He's <laughs> a huge guy and just became a completely different person. And I was like, ah, you're diabetic. You probably shouldn't do that, you know, but it was stuff like that. You know, like I just saw things, um, where I was like, man, like you're a great athlete. I'm like, but you don't make the best decisions, you know, type stuff. And we never, like, it was so funny. Cause we never, we never had any issues. The only time we ever had issues and it was the funniest shit because people were so terrified of Lou when he drank or just terrified of him in general. And the only person he would listen to was me. Like I would scold him like an old grandmother, like when he did something stupid, um, when he was acting stupid, like he would, he would listen to me. Like he, tr he would, it was so hilarious. Cause he could snap me in half like a twig if he wanted to, but he never did. And he only listened to me. And it was just, it was funny, you know, like it was just that respect, you know? And then sometimes too, when he would, when he would, you know, when I would do something stupid, I mean, he would, he would say something to me, you know? So man, it was just, it was just fun, man. It was a great relationship. And I actually, I found myself hanging out with him more and more, you know, like, and it was, it was crazy for me because I, again, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, you know, I'm with Lou at his apartment and his daughter's there, you know, like that's, that's for a 19 year old kid. I mean, you just don't plan on seeing that in college, you know, like it's just, um, so I saw how much he cared and how much he loved her. And, um, you know, uh, I remember <laughs> this is, it's so crazy to think about this. I remember our last year. So I went away for a year. I believe he took a year off too. So we were, we were timing up at the same time where we were both going to graduate at the same time. And, um, 
you know, we, I think we did a, yeah, we did a trial together in New York for an arena league team. Both of us didn't really like anything that we saw there. I think we both got, um, invitations to camp, but we both turned them down. It just was no money and it was in Albany and it was just, you know, the realization of setting in that you're not going to play professional football, that kind of whole thing happened. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so we were getting done and I'll, I'll never forget this shit. I'll never forget it. Uh, it was like, it, it was either, I don't want to say it was homecoming cause it was in the winter ish. There was like something going on, like a, like a pep rally or something. And there was like music and there was like a dance and whatever it might be. I don't know. Hudson was very small. And, um, Lou had told me that he had been working on comedy, like stand up comedy, which I was like, Oh, well that's a no brainer. You're the funniest fucking guy. I know. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, and his brand of comedy was so funny because he, he was fully aware that he was a black man in Bangor, Maine, like fully aware of that. Um, and he, and he played off of that and he always made jokes about that. And it was so fucking funny. Um, and I, his humor would be so appreciated now in, in this kind of current culture that we're in where, um, like he just, he just gets it, you know, like he understood that comedy was comedy and, um, he knew when to push buttons and when not to, you know, but anyway, here's the story. So we, we go to his thing, all of us, and he gets introduced to start doing this. The first time he's ever done stand-up comedy, he goes up and he starts pretending. Well, he wasn't pretending. He, he forgot his lines. He forgot everything. He went blank for like 30 seconds. I thought he was going to like, be like, ha, I'm joking. And the go into it never happened. He forgot everything he was going to say and walked off stage <laughs> in front of like 200 people. And I was like, Oh my God, no, he's not kidding. He actually did just forget all of his shit. That was his first comedy show ever. So we graduate fast forward years later. I go to New Jersey for a year and a half. Um, you know, I come back to Maine, I'm doing elixir. I'm trying to do my thing. He's going between, uh, here and New York and Boston. And like every once in a while I see these things and like, he's like playing a show with Bob Marley and he's, he's doing this comedy show and he's doing this. And like, he just was like getting better and doing well, you know, he had a second child and like, you know, I didn't see him as much, but, um, he, he was, he was doing it. He was putting in the work. Like he was becoming a well-known comedian. You know, I saw him perform in Portland, Maine, uh, at the comedy connection. I think that's what it's called. When I came back from New Jersey in 2011 and he fucking murdered it. Like he was so good. He reminded me of Patrice O'Neill. Like if anybody out there knows who Patrice, Patrice O'Neill is, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, looked like body size, like temperament like he was just I mean he wasn't trying to be him but that's just kind of what it reminded me of and um he was doing great man he was absolutely killing it and um so the so the point the point of this what I'm getting to is just, I, I rushed through the backstory of how we met and how we were like great friends and and you know what he did after college and the point I'm trying to get to is in the beginning I said something about Facebook memories and it was on this day, 2008, that we made, I made the Facebook page and the MySpace for my first company, Elixir, which then became Catalyst, be the Catalyst, Catalyst with a C, Catalyst would change where we are right now. It's 12 years ago, 12 years ago. <laughs> um, and he was one of the first people that wrote on the page and it said, um, 
you can only see the top from the bottom. And that was just his way of saying like, you're at the bottom right now and you'll get to the top. And that was like his first person, man. He saw, he knew all about my aspirations. He knew all about what I wanted to do. And he was there being supportive, you know? And, um, when he was doing his thing, I wasn't as supportive as I should have been, you know, like I should have gone to more shows and I should have reached out more. Um, but I didn't. So, you know, this would be the tough part. Um, so it's like, I want to say, so I'm looking here. Let me pull up the message. Um, so, uh, shit. All right. I'm going to try doing this. <clears throat> so, at this time, like I said, 2012, I think from you can gather from the stories I've told so far, I was not a nice person to be around. I was, gimme, 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 gimme as much exposure as I can get. Um, I'm, a, I'm a guy running a clothing company. That's what I want to be known for. I don't actually want to run the company, which is exactly what happens now in today's society. Everybody wants to be P. Diddy. They don't want to put in the work of P. Diddy if he fucking works. I don't know. Just an analogy. Um, but that's what I wanted to be. I, I cared more about the the press and the uh, limelight than doing the work. And it's completely opposite now. I just had a hard time writing an email that someone requested for me about uh, send a list of your accomplishments uh, and a picture because I'm giving a speech at a, a graduation for um, young leaders of Maine in two weeks. And you know how hard that shit was? I have a hard time writing shit like that. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say. You know what I mean? Like that, like, but five, six years ago, oh, I would have, I would have written a book. <laughs> Always wanting to talk myself up, you know, and, and I just think that's a maturity thing. And that comes with being humbled a lot. But, um, but yeah, anyway, so in 2012, I was fully invested in that, that mindset, you know, I thought I was the busiest fucking guy in the world. I, I, I made it a point, And when I get to the end of the story, I'll tell you why, um, to never say that shit, you know, as an excuse, like everybody's busy, man. Everybody's busy, you know, like, and I was using that stuff as an excuse. And I thought that I was too good to give people times of day to talk to me or to reach out to me. And you know what? Maybe at that time I really thought I was busy, you know? I don't think that I can turn my brain off now. I am always busy. It's always the next thing. It's always, 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 always. But this is what I wanted. So I'm not busy. You know, I'm happy. I'm happy that I am busy with things to do to work and to strive for something. And it's still always a striving thing. Like I don't talk like anything has made it. Like I have made it like nothing that whatever we're at right now, I want to do more and I want to do more and I want to give more and do more and do and do and do and do until I can't do anymore. That's what I want. But at the time I thought I was the busiest fucking guy in the world and no one could talk to me, <laughs> you know? Um, so I'm gonna try to read this. Um, so he wrote to me, um, where he's having a show coming up in Bridgeport. Um, all the way up to Waterville, Maine. And he was kind of just asking me about like 
sponsoring it or, or, or giving him some clothes to wear for this stuff. It was going to be on public access and all this stuff. Um, he just saying, I thought it would be good for us. And so then I didn't respond to that. That was a couple of days before. And then October 1st, he said, Hey man, what's up? And I said, Hey man, working. And that's what I wrote to him. And he said, with the same time you took to send me <clears throat> the fact that you were working, you could have told me what you think of the idea. If you don't like it, that's cool. Just let me know. So at this time, because I'm a reactive, dumb, immature idiot, I respond with, in so many words, just yelling back. Um, I told him he can come look whenever he wants. Um, but I just kind of go on to explain how busy I am. Um, and I just tell him, you know, I'm, you know, you're my boy, but just call me or stop by or text me, you know? And it just was a ridiculous response for me to say to him, uh, when he was literally just asking me what I thought of this idea and I'm not going to read too much of this cause I wouldn't be able to get through it, but he basically says, um, he goes, I just think it's something we could benefit from. He goes, everybody break it at the same time. He's like, you know, being together and end together. He's like, you know, how we talked about when we first met. Uh. And of course, like an asshole, I didn't respond to it. And the worst part about that is that was the... Um, that was the last time I ever spoke to my bud. Uh, so, because I thought I was the busiest man in the world, I didn't have time to talk to somebody who supported me, gave me confidence, gave me advice. Um, it sucks, man, you know. So I remember like, you know, it was probably a year later. We didn't talk for a year. I was at my friend's wedding. Uh, it was actually the night before, excuse me, the night before. And uh, uh, a friend of mine from college, D. Brown, uh, wrote to me. He was from Boston. And he said, uh, do you know what's going on with Lou? And I said, I, I do not. And uh, he said, oh, he's in the, he's in the hospital. They, they, they said that he died. Um, so I did some digging around and, and he actually had not died. Um, he had had, uh, really big problems with his heart. Um, like I said, he was diabetic. He didn't take great care of himself. Uh, and he had already had a, a heart surgery. I believe some valves replaced late twenties. And, you know, he was probably my age at the time. He probably was 34 at this time. Um, and I know that he had some, some problems going on with his heart again. And he was just a, a big guy. And, um, so that was at the recital dinner. That's what it was. And uh, so Saturday morning comes and I got more people asking me because they knew how close we were. And I, I had no, I had no way of getting in touch with them. You know, like I wasn't going to Facebook message them. You know, I I wasn't going to text them. You know, I, I, you know, I felt like a fucking asshole. So um, I want to say. My friend had gotten married. We had take the trolley down to somewhere on the east end to a reception area right there by the, the yachts or whatever it is down there in the east end in Portland. And uh, before we went in that night, uh, a friend of mine called me 
that I played with, and he told me that Lou had uh, had Lou had passed away. And like I've touched on before, I'm not emotional right in the moment. I just was I didn't I didn't feel anything. I I felt like this could be really bad a couple days from now, you know, like it really could be bad. Um, but, uh, you know, it was hard. I had to call, you know, my mom and my mom thought that I was going to be a wreck. And I, and <laughs> I, I did become a wreck. Trust me. Uh, I had to, you know, call my grandfather and I can't believe that Lou passed away before my grandfather, but he did, you know, my grandfather loved him and, um, everybody who knew me knew Lou, you know, like he was one of my best friends, you know? And, um, and yeah, that's something I think about uh, all the time. So again, like when I ignore a phone call or I don't get back to somebody or I I respond emotionally or, you know, explosively instead of implosively or if that's even a word, um, you know, I, I you know, I, I, I it's not Lou. So I don't feel as bad. <laughs> but man, I'll tell you, like. You never think that the last time you speak to somebody is going to be the last time. And if I ever end a conversation with a family member or a friend on a bad note, I usually tuck my tail and call back or text back and just explain, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to sound that way. You know, what have you. So the two takeaways from this story are you're never too fucking busy. That's the first one. Now, do I still get ghosted in my professional life? Sure. Um, there are people who I ask questions from sometimes or people who whatever, and those people come back a week later and try to expect me to do something. And, and nope. Do I get ghosted personally? Of course I do. Everybody does. Um, I think it's, it's a weird thing. I don't know how, how it's, I don't know. I think just cell phones have made it easier than ever if you just don't want to be bothered. But, um, you know, to the extent that I took it was wrong. And that's something that I have to live with for the rest of my life. And that's something that, um, I haven't told many people. I mean, obviously like my family knows and Amy knows and, you know, I, you know, if I could take that back, I would. And you know what? Lou, a hundred percent, wherever he is, does not hold that against me. I know he's probably laughing his ass off somewhere making a bunch of people laugh uh, calling me a bitch for telling this, <laughs> this story. Um, but it, it, it taught me a lesson about how to treat people better when, when, you know, he was just trying to help, man. He was just trying to remind me of, of him and I's dreams and trying to help me. Even if it wasn't going to help me, he was trying to help me, you know, and just try to be supportive. And, um, I see so many people, so many people thinking that they're big time and people would probably say to me, well, how, how do you know that? How can you say that? It's like, dude, that was me. <laughs> I know what it looks like, you know? And it's like, you see people that are 10 times busier, 10 times more famous, say, you know, giving their time to people. If they can do it, you have no reason not to do it. At that point in my life, oh my God, I, I had no reason to do that. And it just it just taught me a forever lesson to just never end that conversation like that again. To never, never do that with anybody. Even if they're not your super duper close friend, it, it, it just, it'll, it'll eat you up, you know? And 
it's still something I think about. And if you ever wonder why I work like I do and this and catalyst works like it does and we do the things that we do, it's because there's someone like Lou and there's someone like my grandfather who didn't get to see it come this far, who didn't, who believed in it who didn't get to see it come this far because of how I decided to run it and how I decided to just be, be exist as a person. It wasn't, it wasn't our time yet. Um, so I just, I just encourage you, like if you're going through something with a friend or it's somebody you're touch and go with, man, just, just show them respect, you know, never think that you're too busy to talk to them. You know, it's just, it's just not a good way to end things. And we had a great run. I knew that guy for 2003, 10 years, a decade, 10 years of my life. And he'll affect the rest of my life for, you know, just how he was, the situations we got ourselves into stuff. I won't even talk about on here. Um, the things we taught each other coming from two completely different worlds, you know, um, and just being the best of friends, man. And, um, and he taught me a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot about life. Um, and, uh, man, if I could do it all over, I would, but, uh, you don't get, you don't get a, you don't get a reshoot. You don't get a retake in life. So that's, that's why I'm doing the things I'm doing now. And I love that guy. Um, yeah. So don't have many jokes today. Uh, some of that story was funny, <laughs> but damn Facebook memories. See, you gotta understand. I don't go into any podcast with any plan whatsoever. I don't. Usually about 10 minutes before I record, I go, oh, oh, that's that's something. And I'll just start talking. Man, I saw this Facebook memory this morning laying in bed and I was like, shit. That's all I've been thinking about all day. So this has been something for me to get this off my chest. Um, and that's all I wanted to say. I'll see you guys on Thursday. Um, hope hope you understood what I was trying to convey in this. Um, and yeah, that's that's about it, man take care of yourselves, take care of each other. Um, I'm not going to tell you to do any, any subscription stuff. I've seen a lot of people subscribe and share and, uh, and listen, listen to the podcast and give me feedback on it, which is like the nicest thing. Uh, so I really appreciate that. And, um, we'll see you guys on Thursday and, uh, yeah, take care.